Hello and welcome to The Leaderverse with your hosts, Drew Lee, Lucas Shriadin, and me, Jesse Button. Can a paycheck alone buy dedication? Today, we'd like to offer some fresh perspectives on compensation and value. What happens when people feel undervalued in the workplace? We look at seeking the true worth of a role versus trying to place a value on a human and explore how we can tap into some intrinsic motivation instead of relying solely on these external rewards. So join us as we explore some rocky leadership terrain in this workplace dynamics conversation and let's empower some folks to reach for their dreams, shall we? All that and more today on The Leaderverse. I hear this sometimes from those that I've coached. I've I've worked for people and, and been in leadership roles and seen people around me who seem to have this notion that compensation buys loyalty, that compensation uh, buys conformity, that the way you pay somebody or by the fact that you pay somebody, you instantly get to expect something from them or you get to expect a certain behavior or you can treat them any way you choose. What do you I think about was, that? I thought it was a little bit triggering at first. Honestly, I've been in the position of being an employee. I mean, we've talked about this before where I hate to, to I'm not going to dog on any leaders here, but I've experienced poor leadership. And this is, this is a big piece of why the, it doesn't, it didn't feel like I was valued for my work or my intelligence or for my contribution at all with just the paycheck. And the attitude from leadership was, that's what it is. That is the reward for what you, what you yes. accomplish here, Jesse. And it was and a what you accomplish feeling. and what you endure. Here's your, here's your, here's your check. It was a horrible feeling. Horrible feeling. Mm -hmm. Hated going to work every day. Hated my life. Hated my job. Hated all of it until I quit. Well, and what's fascinating is based on the way you treat people, by the fact that you see so many that do civil service and they work for charity organizations and they do great work for very little pay, teachers being one, is if you can create a great environment, there are many people that would desire to be in that role. And the more people want to be in that role, the more you create demand, thus you're you're actually in control of the compensation. I mean, imagine if you had 100 people competing for a role because of the culture was so good, the way you treat people was so good that you didn't have to pay as much. But the opposite is true is if you're going to treat people like crap and think that a paycheck is going to be sufficient enough, then what you're going to end up doing is you're going to have to pay a hell of a lot more than you would. And it's something to consider is what do I have to pay people? Sometimes I got to stop and say, well, before we answer that, how do you treat people? How do you create an yeah. environment that they would want to be part of aside from just the compensation itself? I once I once worked for a leader and, and she made a statement. Well, look at what these people make. They're not going anywhere. No more. Well, those were fighting words that many look at and say, I'll show you. I think it's a big deal for a leader to understand, and this is the way that I posture myself. We don't compensate a person because I never will pay a person what the, he or she is worth. I compensate a role to my company. So what is my front desk worth to a office? What is an admin worth to the office? What is my team leader worth? What is my broker worth to the office? So we compensate a role, not a person. Because this is where it gets, gets it. I've given so many raises through my career 
you know, and somebody's earned it. I mean, it's like, I, I don't just buy it. They, they've earned a raise. And I've, I, this has been my experience that good feeling energy lasts about three, four weeks. And then they're back to the same energy they were before the, which is, which is fine. That's just human behavior. So for me, a leader has to understand we don't compensate people because Jesse, nobody will ever give you a dollar amount annually that you're worth, but we do compensate a role. What is that worth to my company to have you do X, Y, and Z activities and then we go from there. And so th that's one distinction that I think is huge. But I, I, I think this is just my hallucination, Drew, and we, I could probably open up. If you've got any of your coaching buddies that are on this this podcast, I'm, I'm probably going to open up a can of worm. I don't believe extrinsic motivation is sustainable ever at any time whatsoever. I think extrinsic motivation is only to be used short term, and a paycheck is extrinsic, external, intrinsic, internal. If I, if the reason why somebody works for a charity for virtually nothing, it's not extrinsic motivation. It's well, actually there is some extrinsic motivation, but it's intrinsic. I feel valued. I feel significant. I feel important. Actually, there's some that says, I feel like I'm sacrificing all the money in the world. So I feel a little bit more noble. And there's a martyr syndrome that takes place there. I used to work with a lot of missionaries and I love missionaries, but they always say, well, we're on the front line. We're out there in the field and we're sacrificing everything. And they would say that as a complaint, but they also, I also know that that kind of also motivated that specific individual. So I think that whenever I go to an extrinsic motivation, I'm always going to be short lived at best. I have to find people who have intrinsic motivation. And then as a leader, how do I tap into their intrinsic motivation? What's the story they're telling about whatever the activity is? That's, but in my mind, that's, well, like for us, the three of us, we do this every single day. And I love Ben Kenny's. Uh, comment on this. Thank you for doing the quiet, lonely work or something of that nature, because we're, th this is, this isn't monetization. This is just a value add to our friends, right? This podcast. I, I think that that's a big thing. And it's and, group anybody, therapy for the three of us. We just, yes. well, let's just be yeah. honest there. It's free therapy, but here's the thing is if you give me a, if you gave me drew a million dollars to do something I don't like, I'm probably going to do that. Something I don't like for about 30 days with joy in my heart because of the million dollars. But then after that, it's like, is this million dollars really worth doing yeah. this thing that I abhor and I don't like? I think all extrinsic motivation is short-lived. Coaches might disagree with me on that. Maybe. They they may. Extrinsic motivation is just going to get you so far. Because, you know, Parkinson's law says a luxury once experienced becomes a necessity. So when... You know, that's why it's one reason it's short lived as I was making X and now I'm making X and it's more. But the moment I experience that and it becomes normal, then it just becomes normal. It becomes a necessity. It, it's no longer associated with with the value of the work. You know, you know, for example, you know, one one leader I work for right currently, he, you know, one thing I learned from him is he said, if you're if we're going to raise your compensation, we're going to change your job. Because very similar to what you said, Lucas, is like the role itself is what that role is worth. If we're going to pay you more than what a part or what about your role is going to change and be worth more. But you bring up something else that's really powerful is you as a leader separate the role and the compensation from the person. It just caused me to wonder is how often do human beings get wrapped up on the other side of that and they confuse their worth with their compensation as a all human the time. yep all the time Drew, honestly if i'm looking back over my last 
a period of time, I'll just go there. There, I won't give a specific year, but a period of time, my biggest internal angst has been, wow, a lot of my identity was wrapped up in that role. And all of a sudden I became synonymous with the role. You take away the role, then who, who am I now? And actually like as a past, when I was a pastor in grief counseling, we used to say grief is the process of grief is over when you can answer this question, who am I now that so-and-so is gone? And I think that's a brilliant definition of grief is who am I now that, you know, my loved one's gone. I also think it's true with uh, like just in leadership, who am I now that this role is over? And when I can answer that, then I come to a place of like, I'm beyond my role. I'm beyond a, a coach or an executive or whatever. And I, I'm really, I, I'm deeply concerned that people listening to this have positional leaderships or they've built like you're in your, your world, Drew, they've built businesses over time. And if the market burps, if something dramatically changes and they lose the role, will they lose themselves? We are, every individual listening is much more than the role that they serve. That's a question we should periodically just ask ourselves on a reflective mm -hmm. basis is who am I, if I wasn't this or wasn't doing this role? Not not in a past tense. While I love the reflection question in a past tense, I would say it's even more applicable in a present tense. Is who am I if I weren't blank? If you weren't the president of your company, if you weren't a, a you know in a supervisory position, if you weren't in a subordinate position, who are you if you're not that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's a leader. I'm not going to think of his name. He was the he was running the Campbell's Soup Company forever and ever. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he and then he gets laid off and he was instructed to write who he was, his entire story physically with a pen. And he about 50 or 60 pages into it, it. That's how long it took him to realize who he was when he was after being the CEO of a company. His whole life was wrapped up in that. It makes a lot of sense. But, you know, what's really interesting about that comment is because I, 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 I don't know if you guys geek out on this, but I totally geek out on, like it started out with the men who built America and then it was the food that built America and the toys that built, I mean, they did a whole series on the History Channel. And I, I found it fascinating that an up and coming fast food restaurant was trying to, to take Colonel Sanders chicken and expand it as a franchise. And they, they struggled. I mean, it was great chicken and everybody loved it. And Colonel Sanders wasn't the, the nicest guy in the world. And, you know, he was had a hot temper and what have you. And up comes this guy and he goes, I've got this idea. And they hated it at first, but they said, why don't we serve chicken in a bucket and put red stripes all around it? And hence it became the, kind of their iconic symbol. You know, Colonel Sanders is known for that bucket of chicken. And this guy got really popular in, in Kentucky Fried Chicken, and they then they the executives ended up screwing him. I mean, royally, like they came to an impasse. And this guy went through like a depression, went through challenges that says, you know what? I can't do it in the chicken world because I've got to not compete. So why don't I go start Wendy's Hamburgers? Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, started out at Kentucky Fried Chicken, and he invented the bucket. And it was because – and one of the key things in that story was Dave Thomas realized – he he was a marketer. He wasn't a Kentucky Fried Chicken guy, and he was able to say, "I'm going to take this market." And think about it. Back then, he was jumping into the world of McDonald's. He was jumping yeah. in the world of, you know, other people that dominated the hamburger industry. And he, 
It was brilliant because he became the poster child for Wendy's for forever. It was like, here's this dumb until, until his passing. He really was. And you think about that's right. I, mean, I don't. I don't know anybody listening. When was the last time you went to Wendy's because you chose to? Only time I seem to be going there. Nothing against Wendy's, ladies and gentlemen, but it. I, I only if, find if myself going there. Wendy's, if it's like it's a last resort up. on a yeah. on an exit, and it's the last thing open, or it's the only thing closest to the gas station we're stopping at. Whereas it was during at one point in time when it had the you know the potato bar and the salad bar, it was like the only fact. It's like, hey, we could stop and we can get a potato and chili and a salad. How cool is that? It it made it unique. It made it different. So it's fascinating. I I never heard that about Dave Thomas. But it kind of goes to our overarching point, though. Drew is like great leaders understand that they are more than the role that they have. And here's what what I what I also believe. I believe that failure is a great teacher, and it sucks. But more insidious of a trap is success. If I success succeed five years ago, it doesn't entitle me to succeed today. I have to tap into who I am and not my history. I have to tap yes. into who I am and not the trophies on a shelf. I have to tap into who I am right now. And it kind of goes to, you know, we've talked about this on this podcast. Now, who am I now? Who am I now that these people screwed me over? Who am I now that the market's changed? Who am I now that this agent left my team? Who am I now that the interest rates are going up or down? If I if I could solidify on my, I, I and what I don't like to, this is a little pet peeve is, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like, no, what do you want to do when you grow up? Or, hey, Drew, what are you? I am a coach. No, you're not. That's what you do. I am not a realtor. That's what I do. I am not a owner of an office. That's the, that's just what I do. Who I am is much more than just that. And I, I hope people understand that once I settle my identity and I know where my destiny is, it'll snap my current reality into place. Hmm. And so further, that's further, that's what that that considers, you know, people aren't what they do either. And I think that's, that's a big right. distinction. It's not only a self-reflection of I am not what I do. It's that person is not what they do. I need to treat them as a human being and compensate them for the role that they do. Can you do that as exactly a leader? Right. I mean, ladies and gentlemen, if you're if you were leading others, I don't care if you it's so much of as a virtual assistant. But if you if you were leading other people. I, I just beg that you can remember there's a human being on the other end of that. Am I treating them like a human? And then am I compensating them for the role? Yeah. Two, they're, they're, them, those are two different things. That's exactly right. You treating know, and, them and, correctly. Sorry, Drew, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'll quit stepping on you after this. I was just going to say that treating people correctly, it, it should just be, that should be an automatic. It seems like there's in leadership, there needs to be a recognition of the human outside the role. Like, okay, former KW team leader here. If I had a boss that said, Jesse is just a team leader, that's an offense to me. I mean, I'm walking in the door before we even get started offended. If that is what my leader and my partner thinks of me. I mean, and and in when they're treating me while they're talking to me, if they think that I am just that, I'm somebody's mother. I'm a child of God. I am a singer. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a sweet person. Like, and if if you're just looking at me as that as my identity, that is an automatic offense. And she's got a little sassiness to her too today. Did you notice the little the head bob and the little the little cadence <laughs> she got it to? <laughs> Watch who you're speaking to. There's that's right. <laughs> well, and that's that's the thing is like that person, I and here's where 
I think leaders get into the opposite side of trouble when they start overspending for a role because they fell in love with the person. Mm. I, you know, it's just like, I I've seen people do that. It's like, if I settle in my heart, I'll never ever pay a person what they're worth, but I could pay a role and I could pay activities what they're worth to the company. And I expect a return on investment when I pay a role. And that's where it's real. I've come really at peace. Like, Hey, Drew, I understand that you, you know, your, your behavior seems to say you don't want to do this role anymore. Is there something that we need to discuss so that we can get you into a role that, that you want to do because I'm paying the mm-hmm. role. This yeah. is where I also say, Drew is like, you know, I've actually, you, this was, this was a authentic comment at the beginning and now it's a script. It is still authentic, but it's, it really is a script is like, Hey, Drew, at the end of the year, I am firing the results that we've historically had, and I hope to God you don't go with that firing. Your choice. I like that. It, it, that really does role separate is- the person from the role. I mean, Jim Collins, the author of Good to Great and How the, How the Mighty Fell and several others, in Good to Great, he said, you're always looking for, for two things, role match, value match. What do you, I value as a leader? And what do I value as a person? What do I, what are my company values? And then are we a match there with the person that I'm in business with, going into business with, partnering with, hiring as an employee or, or as a contractor? It's like, okay, do we match there? And if you're a value match, then the role of the leader is and the responsibility is to make sure and then I put them in the right seat so they can excel. And so you're looking at values and humans and matching the two with the role itself. And and the struggle is if if you, the leader, don't value people, then you look at your PL, and here's what I can tell you. It's very, very high in the compensation side of things, making up for the lack of ability to lead people. You're paying for your inept nature as a leader. That's so good. I think there's a lot of expectations that the people we lead have that go unsaid. I, of course, we all expect our paycheck on time and we expect to show up on time and do our jobs. That's a given. I think I expect as an employee with a partner, I want to grow as a person. So I expect leadership. I expect coaching and development. I expect training. And so if you're not a great leader and you and you can't provide those things for me and it's just in a paycheck, that external motivation, just like you were saying, Lucas, it's it's going to keep me happy for a few weeks, maybe. Well, it might keep you happy for years. But, but it, it's it's... You will stay happy, Jesse, until your needs are met and you no longer need that specific thing or you find opportunity elsewhere. Because that means the only relationship we really have is monetary. You do a job, you get paid, you deal with me and my BS as a leader. You, I can pay you enough for you to tolerate me and my you know, idiosyncrasies or my treatment. You can deal with it. But if you if you pay off your house and you have you're debt free and you've built using this income to create your own sustainability or your own sense of security, well, often that's what compensation does. Is it provides a great enough sense of security for a person to stay when they no longer need that sense of security coming in the form of compensation. Well, that's when they leave. Or they start seeking opportunity elsewhere 
And that opportunity doesn't have to be as big as what you were compensating. I mean, okay, I left so an organization a while back that it was like, yeah, damn right. They had to pay me what they did because, because of what I was willing to tolerate. And I've had, you know, I've had friends say, it's like, wow, what, what, you, you made a decision to leave this for this. I was like, yeah, I sure did. But wow, the treatment, the people so much better. Yeah. They, they don't have to pay me what, what, what other organizations would. And I'm okay with it. Okay, so let's say that's all court. relative to that fact of how do you treat people? How do you see the role to Lucas's point? How do you compensate the role? And then how do you lead that person as a human? Yeah, there you go. So let's say I'm certain that you did. Let's assume that this conversation has struck a chord and there is a leader that has a team of people around them that's realized she is compensating them maybe really, really well and not leading them. And she's lacking in certain areas. What What do we do? Step one. I, well, like anything, you know, this, step one, acknowledging you have a problem. Thank yeah, you. So step two, yeah. be willing to do something about it. Here, here's and in my thought just because I've been working on this with with uh, the book that I'm <laughs> I'm flowing with Drew let's use that language I'm not struggling with I'm flowing with however like when it comes to awareness I think it's easy like if I was coaching Drew or working with Drew it's easy it's relatively simple for me to see the stories he's creating around certain things see his mindset it's easy to spot everybody else's so when a leader is in that position like oh my gosh Drew just stuck a with me in this conversation this is this is the order that i'd like people to think about number one is it me go internal first then is it we then go external what's the story that the belief systems that they have about this what how are they thinking and then the third step is what else could it be what could we create if we'd reset things so is it me is it we what else could it be and when i go internal I'm acknowledging that I get stressed or frustrated or angry or intense or excited or passionate or joyful when these certain things happen. I have to understand my story, which is really tough. I need actually, I usually need a therapist or a coach to just say, take a look. This is what I'm seeing. This is and feedback does that. Emotion hmm. emotions reveal programming, but here's the paradox of that statement. Emotions also conceal programming. And so we have to sometimes we need external help to dislodge our stories. And then if I have an employee like that, if Drew is my employee, like, hey, Drew, I feel like I'm, I I need to own something. I feel like my leadership's been off in my relationship with you, and I value and respect you. I'd like to reset our relationship. So can we do this three and do a future self? Three, three years from now, I'd like to understand what's your perfect life. And I'm not doing that for the sake of the vision. I'm doing that because Drew's going to go, I'm making a million dollars. Awesome. Hey, Drew, what about a million dollars is important to you? What does that ultimately do for you? Because I want to get inside of Drew and understand the stories he's telling himself and make sure that I'm still, as a leader, his on-ramp for his dreams to be fulfilled. That's all a leader is. We need to become on-ramps for other people's dreams to be fulfilled and make our world big enough so that people who have really big aspirations can do that inside of our world or be okay with the fact that they're going to come in and out of my world. That's what I would do. It's like if you've ever pulled up to a, to a stop sign and you see like a big bush or a van or something that is that, that creates a blind spot for you. If you've ever seen that, for example, right? And then, you know, if you're if you're traveling with somebody 
you know, maybe they get out of the vehicle and they go to the, to the edge of the intersection and they're like, okay, yeah, you're good. Go ahead and pull up. It's that different lens and that different perspective that offers something that the driver can't see. And that's what listening or engaging in the story looks like. I, you know, there's a notion that's taught that says, you know, you start out, especially in business, you often start out as, as an I do or, or a doer, right? We start out as doers and we're the, we're the product, we're the thing. So it's an I do world. And then as you hire people, you grow, you move into, or your goal should be to move into a we world. I do it, we do it. And then ultimately now they do it, which is now you're really in a business of they do something. So I do it, we do it, they do it. But I think the evolution of a leader is, is when you start, you do care about yourself. You do care about your needs. The real question is a leader, can you go and can you transition successfully to a person that says, I care about me to I care about we to I care about they? There you go. That's good. Not everyone can make that transition. You have to want to and then be willing to do the work to get there because you care so much about being that on-ramp and you care about the people and the dreams that they have for themselves. I think you have to care. I love I love what you said, Lucas, about resetting the relationship. That's such an easy way to start a difficult conversation. Hey, I'd like to reset this relationship. When you said that, I don't feel like we have a relationship that needs resetting right now. But when you said that, I felt a sense of relief. And so I want to encourage anyone that is facing a fierce conversation where they have to admit not being the best leader for somebody on their team, that you can have that conversation and start fresh. And, and here, here's the little caveat, because I actually had this happen to me in one scenario where somebody was resetting a relationship. They use that as an opportunity to take out a pound of flesh. Ooh. I would, in, in that is... In fact, they used a um, a, to, a, um, a career visioning tool to validate, like, well, this says Lucas is highly impatient. Well, you know what? That really is true. I've seen that over the last three months. I'm like, what is this? This is not resetting a relationship. This is you venting your frustrations. <laughs> and finally, I realized, you know, I'm just going to be quiet and quit. <laughs> and I I a very important question to ask you, Lucas. Oh, brother. Did this involve a thinking chair? No, actually, this was pre-thinking chair. <laughs> nice, nice though. <laughs> no, no, that that was those weren't reset the relationship conversations. Those were you're gonna sit here and listen to conversations. <laughs> I've had those too. So, but here's yeah. here's one other thing too. I want to make sure that leaders are not hearing this. I'm not telling to pe if you pay peanuts, you get monkeys. I'm not telling leaders to no. pay cheap. No, 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 not at all. I don't know. What pay, pay with that what you would pay that person to never consider leaving and treat that sure. person even better. Yeah. You know, treat them like the value that you're paying and then better. I will tell you if and if if you're thinking of ever hiring me as a coach, if you're this person, just just don't. Don't call me. We're good. Uh, I'm fine. We're good. I still like you from a distance and we can, we can keep each other in a, in a arm's length relationship. But fundamentally I've, I've had a 100% failure rate of ever coaching somebody who, and this could be my judgment, who I perceive doesn't care about people. And they see people as a tool or as, as a step to get higher up along the ladder, or they use people to, 
you know, as a, as a, as a leverage tool, but they actually don't value people. And then they wonder why they really have a hard time leading or they have a high turnover rate. I have a 100% failure rate of working with people and helping them grow an organization if they fundamentally don't care about people. And, and that could be totally me. Maybe it's yeah. like something I'm doing wrong, but if, if you're, thinking to yourself at some point, you know, yeah, people are a resource. They're a tool, nothing more, nothing less. And I'm going to use people to, to reach my capacity and my goals and my vision. And you don't see a way to go from, I care about me to, I care about we, to, I care about them. There's nothing I can do for you. That's a fundamental flaw. And you're going to have to pay a lot of money to keep people. Whereas if you treat people well, they're more likely to stay. And that's where I want to run to because there are people who see their organizations as, well, that person's an asset. That person's an asset. What I want the language to be, Drew, is that role is an asset. That role is an asset. That role is an asset. That I absolutely have to have a killer ops person that just does this, 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 and this because that role is a huge asset and it's sure. worth $60,000 annually to me. Now, let me go find somebody who's big life is to make $60,000 a year and they're wired for this, but that person is invaluable. That person is uh, priceless. That person, I respect them and I love them. And if this is the big life, awesome. I'm respecting you by giving you this role, but the role, the person is not the asset. The role is the asset. That, that, that nameless person on an organizational chart, that role is an asset. Yeah. And then based on that person in that role, is you're going to determine now, did that value of that role even go up? I mean, you look at the the value yeah. and the highest paid role on a football team is the quarterback. It's the highest paid role in any football Your team. Geez. And it's the most important role in any football team, right? But not all quarterbacks make the same amount of money, do they? Right. And quarterbacks often will comment about their coaches and their ownership group based on the culture of the environment, how they're treated. So they, they, they do coincide in many ways, but I agree with you when you can separate them, what's a quarterback worth. And then what's a Patrick Mahomes worth versus whoever the last draft bust was that we put in a quarterback role. Well, it's kind of funny this week. It's the super bowl and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm really pulling for the chiefs, but we have the tale of two quarterbacks. We have Patrick Mahomes who's getting paid $400 million-ish, whatever his contract's worth. And Brock Purdy, who actually was Mr. Irrelevant, I think he's getting paid the league minimum of $400,000-ish type of thing. In fact, I read an article that the Manning's son, Archie Manning, that is at University of Texas, makes more money than Brock Purdy does because of of his marketing agreements. So it's interesting that, that you bring that up because – What's going to happen is I think Brock Purdy is on the last year of his rookie contract, and if he wins the Super Bowl, his value just went off the charts because now the person brings a value to a role, and the role is super, super important. So it, that's a football is a fascinating – outside of the, the – I enjoy the game, but outside of that, it is a fascinating study of risk-reward, achievement, underachievement, and mindset and psychology. It just is. It's no. fascinating. I can sit well, at Arrowhead I mean, Stadium, all major and if things sports. going well, there's a whole psychodemographic. Sorry about that, Drew, but there's a whole psychodemographic of eighty thousand people that are all like energized, and then something happens, and all of a sudden the energy just goes. It is fascinating to me how that happens. One so little cool. event changes the whole psychology. 
Go ahead, Drew. I'm sorry. Momentum has a fascinating energy. It, it can't be seen, smelt, tasted, touched. It, it doesn't register on any any of our senses, but we can feel it. You can know it's happening. You can be it. Like, you can experience it, and yet it doesn't have any sensory perception that goes along with it, but you can feel it in your core, and you can watch it transpire you know, on a football team, you know, every major league sport, every professional sport is a business. And if you really want to see how to learn and ways to improve your own business, watch professional sports, but watch it through the lens of a business role, human compensation, building a roster. And then, you know, you've seen great players, piss poor attitudes, bring teams down. You've seen bad coaches. Our last episode, we talked about how bad coaching can't can't make up or can't help good players. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it, it, it is a combination. You have to look at yourself and say, how can I become a better leader? How can I separate a person from the role? How can I compensate the role itself? And then when you add that human component and care about where they are, who they are, and what they want, Oh, you got a you got a masterpiece in in leadership. You know what, Drew? I'm going to double your pay this week. That was really good, buddy. Twice <laughs> as much as what I typically pay. Mine too. Mine too. Yeah, you too, Jesse. You know what? You get triple. I win. 